0: This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Indeed, our God is a way maker and he continues to make a way for us even in these unprecedented times. We thank and praise God for another opportunity to come together in the word of God. And we find the word for today's message, this our sixth in our series from glory to glory in the gospel according to St. John. We're going to be looking today at the first chapter and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. And what you find written there reads in this fashion. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because indeed he, he was before me. For from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. As we speak to the subject this morning, God's amazing grace. Amen. God's amazing grace. In the time that I've been spending here at home working and seeking God in my spare time. I've been able to reflect on a lot of things. And what i found in the midst of any good franchise, any good series of anything, be it movies or games or whatever you might be, there's always a certain one in the bunch that's viewed as an aside. Now, an aside is not one that does not belong. But an aside is a breakout session or a breakout movie or in this ca- in this case a breakout message that looks at the overarching theme of the series in and of itself and as the lord began to deal with me with this particular message he of all places as a starting point took me to a show that I remember from when I was younger dare I say a kid it was one of my favorite shows growing up and that show was called that's Incredible now, the premise behind the show was the highlighting of ordinary people that that had the ability to do extraordinary things. And these individuals used their gifts to astound and amaze their audiences, leaving them speechless and desiring more of them and their incredible gifts. And when I thought about that, I thought in the same way Jesus chose to embark upon an incredible journey that would amaze his audience and leave countless people speechless as the dead were raised The blind given sight and signs, wonders, and miracles abounded. But but Christ's journey from glory to glory, brothers and sisters, served a much larger and deeper purpose that our text explores here today. Jesus came to offer us the precious gift of grace. Grace defined as the capacity to continue being recognized and viewed in right standing by God, even in our flawed state. Grace is not something that we can earn. Grace is not something that we can generate. Grace is not something that we can barter for or gain in any way. Grace is a gift that's given to us. And when I began to look at the this amazing thing called grace, this incredible thing called grace, it astounded me. And it made me even desire and want Christ even more. Through his sacrifice on Calvary, Jesus gave us access to once again to the father and our airship as children of God back in spite of our sins. Now, as we look at the upheaval in our world today and, and, and the uncertainty as a result of that upheaval, we too should stand in amazement and declare just how incredible God is as we thank him daily for his amazing grace towards us. And I do just that. i found more and more each and every day as we move through these times, through times that, that they've expressed on TV We're going to be dark weeks, We're going to be grim weeks as, as this, this thing that, that so many on TV have, have equated, this disease, they've equated it to a beast. And some have even called it the beast has, has, has ravaged through homes and ravaged through lives and ravaged through communities. I still see God's amazing grace at work in the earth. God's amazing grace at work in the hearts of his people. This message is designed to remind us today that we have to allow God's grace to equip us to be a clear reflection of who Christ is in word and in deed. Amen. When I turn on the news, I see how at 8 p.m eastern time initially in new york no matter what everybody was doing they would stop and and just begin, they'd open their windows and begin to to make noise, make a noise of joy for the healthcare workers that were, were were doing the work, literally the yeoman's work, the miraculous work of of saving lives. And and they'd grab whatever they had around them, and they'd they'd, they'd clang on pots, and they they'd rattle uh, uh, uh cans, they they tear paper, they'd whistle, they'd clap, they'd shout, they'd make a noise that was such a joyous and incredible and amazing noise for those healthcare workers to hear. As they'd be changing shifts and going in, it'll be the oomph that they need to go in to do this work, this grim work. It'll be the oomph the, the that they need coming out. Those are the ending shifts to, to go home to their loved ones. This joyful noise that, that, that I'm speaking of here is the kind of noise that God desires us to make. This is Christ alive and active in word and in deed. And it's amazing to see individuals that we thought would never stand together. We're seeing stand together like never before. And it left me begging the question, God, how can this be in times like this when in normal days we can't do this? And God said clearly, as I know my name today, brothers and sisters, that I'm creating a new atmosphere. A new atmosphere that's designed for more than ever before. My children to make a joyful noise unto me. Not because of their standing in the world, but because of my standing above the world. We have to allow God's grace to equip us to be that clear and accurate reflection, first and foremost by understanding God's intention in giving us grace. Look at what it says in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Catch that portion of the scripture. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Glory is a word we've established that means reflection. So the son was a reflection of the father. I have four sons and I say all the time that each of them are a reflection of a facet of my personality. And when they all come together, they create a reflection of who I am. They become my glory, my reflection in the earth. So when they go forth in the earth, they're a reflection of the source from which they came. Now, when I text John, is given us a glimpse into God's rationale for for sending his son. Jesus came to serve as an earthly example, church, of what we are to be in the earth and to reflect his essence and nature among those that don't know who he is. One of the worst things that a person can be is lost, absolutely lost, not physically lost but mentally and procedurally lost. You know where you are. You know that you belong here, but you don't understand how you can plug in and function and fit. It's a lonely feeling. It's a harrowing feeling. It's a frustrating feeling. It's an empty feeling. And we have a whole lot of people walking around the earth today that are empty. We have the capacity through God's glory to fill them up. Like the proud father that God was of his son, God is equally proud of us as those that are made in his image and likeness and longs to have that same measure of pride in us and our lives. So we have to understand God's intention. God's intention concerning grace is for both the believing world and, and the angels in heaven to see Christ and his people. We have to grasp that. One of the mysteries of grace is that grace is designed to not only put us in right standing with him, but to put us in right understanding of him before men and before angels. Now, you might say, Pastor, why in the world are you bringing angels into this? Well, I'm bringing angels into this because when you look at Ephesians 3 and it begins to talk about the intention that God had and that God has for grace in the earth, we come to realize that we are a big deal. You know how we talk about people sometimes that, that, that we think are very, very prideful and we say, well, they think they're a big deal. They think they all that. They get the concept, but it's been perverted by the enemy through pride. But we are a big deal not to be prideful, but instead to be praise filled, to give our God praise, to give our God worship. Here's the word, to give our God glory, to be that active, accurate, ongoing reflection of who God is in the earth so that lives can be changed and so that souls can be saved. Ephesians 3 8 and 10 says of the intention that God has for grace. To me, Paul is speaking, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's a unilateral statement. God is saying through his apostle Paul, that the perspective that we as his children need to take is one, a posture of reception to receive what the father has for us because his intention is to use us as part of the ecclesia, as part of the church that he is building, a church that's beyond walls, a church that's beyond denomination, a a church that transcends Those divisive things and has moved now into the oneness that God intended the church to be. The oneness that prepares us to not only make the world know, but also the heavens know just who we are in God. And just what role he desires us to occupy in serving him. We indeed are world changers. God desires to use us to change the world. He gave the arithmetic of change. The Bible says one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. If you extrapolate that out, that means three can put a 100,000 to flight. Four could put a million to flight. A dozen people can literally change the world. And God is calling us to move into a place of walking in the midst of the intention that he has for us. God is intentional. I want you to be like me. I want you to be a reflection of me. People think highly of me. And if they think highly of me, the greatest gift and honor that a man could give to his son is to bestow that same honor and reverence of the circle that's around him onto his son, that his son might continue the legacy of the glory into the next generation. This is what God desires to do in and through us. God desires us to take the good news into the next generation, into this generation that's looking for something more in these perilous times, that's looking for another opportunity, that's looking, as we heard earlier, for a waymaker. For a miracle worker. For a promise keeper. For a light in the darkness. Yet many of us fail to understand God's plan. And strive to go forth. And live our lives apart from him. Thinking that we're not worthy. The enemy would love nothing more than to keep us divided from our power source. But what happens is that when this takes place, we're not drawing closer to God as the enemy would dupe us into thinking, but instead we're moving further away from him and closer to eternal death and destruction. We've got to realize and understand that the actions that we take indeed have eternal consequences those eternal consequences can help dictate where we spend eternity. We've got to realize and wake up and understand that this is a new day. This is a new hour. This is a new world that we're in. A world that, as I studied this out, is not going to get any easier. To occupy the role that God has given us in. If you look at your word, it talks about when Christ begins to speak on the end of the age, what things have to begin taking place. And as the Lord had me looking at those things, as he had me looking at grace, it's, it shook me to my very core. Because I identify, Lord, these things are happening right here, right now, today. Lord, what is your plan for us? What have you called us to do? And he said, I've called you to remember that my desire is to draw you unto myself by giving you access to me once more through my amazing grace. And that's what God desires to do for each and every one of us. He desires us to press our way through the noise, press our way through the stuff, press our way through all the things and all the tricks that the enemy would seek to put in our way to hinder us from being all that God has called us to be. And remember who we are. Remember that we are somebody. Remember that we are a big deal in Christ. Remember from whence we've come and once again, return to from whence we've come and not let anything or anyone separate us from whence we come, but instead for us to understand who we are. We look in Ephesians, the second chapter verses 14 through 16. God gives us a rallying cry of who we are. It says for he himself, he being God is our peace who has made us both. Jew and Gentile one and is broken down, destroyed, done away with in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility between us by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And here it is. Here's our affirmation that he might create in himself. One new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility between God and us. Sin keeps us separated from God, but God's intention with his amazing grace is to bring about reconciliation. If you go back in the word, you see that the record that, that the reconciliation came came unbalanced and unhinged when with when when, when when God's chosen people and God's unchosen people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And what happened was the separation came about because of the laws and the ordinances. Some wanted to follow and some didn't want to follow, keeping in the very, very basic and elementary terms. And God has said, in the midst of the division, I'm now bringing my son to pour out his grace that transcends all law, that transcends all all religion, that transcends all misnomers, that transcends all mistakes, that transcends everything that's kept us divided so that he could tear down that wall of division between us and bring us back into the position of strength. In unity, church, there is strength. God's grace is so amazing that it—it's the, it's the driving force that can bring about tremendous, incredible moments like what I talked about earlier. Bringing individuals that might be in Harlem in lockstep with individuals that live on Park Avenue. And raising up a joyful noise to the one that has the capacity to heal above and beyond the work that the precious and valuable healthcare workers are doing right now. Or if we can lift up our voices one And praise the healthcare workers that are doing miraculous things through God for the body. How much more can we as one body raise up a joyful noise unto the Lord who can do the miraculous in our soul as well as our body? God's amazing grace is intentional in preparing and equipping us to do that. But not only that. We have to truly allow the world to see Christ in us through and by his grace and thought and deed by secondly realizing that God's grace is our key. To eternal and victorious living. Look at what it says in verse 15. It says that John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was. Before me. Now, in our text here, Jesus is spoken of by John the Baptist as one who ranks before him, even though he came after him. Now, what this speaks to is God's desire to make us like Christ as it pertains to our divine status. God created us, church, a little lower than the angels and and desires for us to occupy the position that, that we've been created for. But because he knew that our sin would disqualify us from holding our position, God introduced grace through Christ to not only remind us, but once again, align us with God and in our rightful place as joint heirs of his promise. That's powerful. God used that amazing grace to get us back in line and to get us back in our position to receive our airship. Grace allows us to live in this space, church. It allows us to live in this space in spite of our sinful nature. Because what's on the outside of us is dead to the Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of us by God's grace. And he, the Holy Spirit, is where we find the true life that sustains us. See, God's not worried about this package. This package, he knows what it's made out of. It's made out of dust. I want what's inside the package. What's inside of the package is what worries me. And because of what's inside of the package, I'm going to do what I can to maintain the package until such time as it's time to lay that package down and take what belongs to me on the inside. But because we were given the capacity to choose in the Garden of Eden, this package that the gift is inside of, this flesh now becomes a bone of contention because this flesh wants what the spirit doesn't want. And it's a constant tug of war, the flesh versus the spirit, the flesh versus the spirit. And many, many times we get it wrong because what our flesh wants makes us feel good. What our flesh wants makes us look good. What our flesh wants sounds good. What our flesh wants plays well in society. But God is calling us to a higher level of society dare I say, outside and beyond society into fellowship, into a glorious fellowship with him. Well, his flesh doesn't matter. Jesus wasn't worried about this flesh he was in. He put this flesh on. If you remember, he got up off his throne in glory, which is the first glory in our sermon series and told the father, make me a body. I'll go so that I can be, An example of you before them so that I can show them how to do this our way so that I can help them see that not only can it be done, but it will be done based on a will that's completely committed to God. That in times where we might want to sin and stumble instead of crying out to our flesh for what we want, we cry out to God for the grace. To build that extra track back To swing us back into line Before we completely go off the tracks Look at what it says In Galatians 2 and 20 Here's another rallying cry for us It says I've been crucified with Christ Again Paul speaking to the church of Galatia And yet I live But it's not I, but Christ that lives within me and the life I now live in this flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's our rallying cry of realization. We've got to understand that everything that we do, every breath that we take, every move that we make, every thought that we think, every action. That exudes from our body. It's time stamped. Time is a great equalizer, church. It's the one thing that no matter how much money we have, no matter how much prestige we hold, no matter how much status we, we we amass, no matter how much power we wield, we cannot get back time. And even with Christ, Christ literally stopped time. His death and resurrection stopped time. It was the marker between B.C., which was, in lamest terms, known as before Christ, and A.D., which is annus domino, which means literally the year of our Lord. So Jesus' death and resurrection literally stopped and changed the trajectory of time as we know it, which means every moment that we have in life is a time-changing opportunity. Doesn't matter what we look like. Doesn't matter. What's going on in and around us? What matters is a choice that we make. And God's grace keeps us swinging back into proper standing with him. Our proper time being spent with God. So that it's not spent in enmity against God. So when we do what we do, we're doing it outside of of Christ will say, that's right, I did it because I'm big enough, I'm bad enough, I'm bold enough to do it. I'll take all the credit. But God's grace in the midst of us making choices that are wrong when things still turn out right because we know what we did wrong. We can say that I'm crucified with Christ and yet I live. It's not me, God. But it's the Christ that lives in me that I'm able to do what it is that you've called me to do. God, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. I'm not saying these things, God. You're saying these things. I'm not anything more than what you created me to be. That's a lump of dust that you saw fit to give the grace to speak, to give the grace to witness, to give the grace to give, to give the grace to pray, to give the grace to lay hands on the sick that they might recover, to give the grace to exhort, to give the grace to encourage, to give the grace to do whatever it is, the gifting and the talent that God has given you to do is. We have to understand that God desires to do so much more in us that we could even understand or comprehend. That's why we say now unto him who's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think. As amazing as that is, the kicker is according to the power that's at work in us. That's the key. The ability to do which is a definition of power that God desires to to use through us to make life-changing moments in the lives of others that they might come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. However, some people have made the choice of being guided by their sight instead of faith in Christ. Taken it the next step beyond the people that we initially talked to that have shunned God's grace. They've taken it to the next step. Because they now believe that God's love could never reach them, much less exonerate them from the sin that they've committed. They're like, I'm a bad seed. God could never love me. God can never accept me. God doesn't want me. Let me let you in on a little secret. You're exactly who God wants. The sin that you've committed is exactly the reason why God sent his son. These thoughts are a trick of the enemy designed to keep those individuals separated from God and his grace. Because it was individuals like that. That Jesus took the position that John the Baptist talked about. Now, I love sports. Those of you that know me know that I love sports. And those of you, because I live in the Chicagoland area, know I love my white socks. I love my white socks on the baseball side. And the, the type of games that I love more than anything else for my socks to play in are the games that are the come from behind victories. I love every victory. But for me, a victory is so much more rewarding when it's a come from behind victory. And don't let it be a victory where they're, they're, they're trailing, going into the bottom of the ninth inning at home and they come from behind and win it by one run. I absolutely relish victories like that because victories like that not only give me the joy of having the win. But victories like that give me an appreciation for the metal of my team and an appreciation for the grit that they have to continue pressing on. But most importantly, and I need you to catch this, it gives me an appreciation for the faith that they have, not only in one another, but the faith that they have in the in the reality that if they take all their gifts and use them together, they can achieve something that's truly, truly, Incredible. That's how God. Desires us to function. And he gave us a microcosm example of that. Jesus and God, God, the father, Jesus, the son, and the Holy spirit knew exactly what was going to happen. They all knew exactly where each and every one of us would be in our particular point in time in life. And that's why my God and our God is so amazing in his grace because he identifies and he identified our point in time as he hung on the cross. When he looked one way, he looked back up his generational line and saw everyone that came after him or came before him, rather, excuse me, and he looked the other way and he saw everyone, including you and I, that become coming after him and he knew that no matter where each of us were, we would have a John the Baptist moment. We'd realize that Christ was doing a come from behind victory. He was doing a come from behind victory. He was coming behind my sin. He was coming behind my shortcomings. He was coming behind on my mess and all my stuff. When I'd written myself off, he not only hadn't written me off, but he had already written the story where in it I win. And that's the awesome thing about God. God lives for the comeback victories. God lives for the comeback. He's a God of comebacks. God is one that will take what the world has written off, what the world has thrown away, what the world views as foolish to even think about using and use those very ones to confound the wise. That's what makes God's grace. So amazing. God's grace is so amazing because it's reserved for the comeback, for the comeback kids. And in case you've not figured it out yet, church, that's us. We're the comeback kids. But our job doesn't stop with just being the comeback kids. He does the comeback kid work in us so that in turn he can use us to go out and introduce his good news to others so they, too, can, be, can become comeback stories. This is why we must reject the lies of the enemy when they come and receive our victory through God's amazing grace. The word lets us know that the enemy comes in like a flood. Doesn't mean the enemy's not going to come. In fact, once we realize exactly who we are and that because of grace, we're comeback kids and the bonus kicks in, oh, we can do this. We have the confidence and the boldness to believe that our God is 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 more than enough in every situation. The enemy is going to do all he can. To come in like a flood. But that scripture goes on to say the enemy comes in like a flood, but the but the Lord has lifted up a standard. Hallelujah. Against them, the enemy can come. But the Lord has already lifted up a standard because we understand who we are. And because we understand who we are, we stand under the amazing grace of God and underneath the amazing grace of God. Underneath his shadow, there's healings. Underneath His the shadow of his wings, there's protection from the enemy. Jeremiah. 29 and 11. Puts it more philosophically than I can. It's one of my personal favorite scriptures. It says here, for I, I, God, know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. In other words, like any good team, I've made you a good team with the intent of making you a great team. And as you become a great team, I want you to become a great team, to become a contending team. And then when you become a contending team, I want you to battle through as a contending team to become a championship caliber team. And once you become a championship caliber team, you're then ready to 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 go up against the champion. And once you win that championship, you didn't come just to play against the champ. You came to beat the champ to become the champ. That's what God desires us to do. He desires us to understand and know that this grace that he's given us is not designed to just make us come back, kids. But he's brought us back, not only just to come in and to be here. He's brought us back to walk in victory. He's brought us back to walk in dominion. God's grace is our key to walking in that victory, in that dominion. Not only here on the earth, but along the path on the earth to lead us. Into victory in eternity. Which leads us to our last point. That we have to live in the fullness of our amazing grace. Through Christ in word and deed here in the earth. And we do that by knowing. That Christ is the source. From which both our reflection. And God's grace emanate. We got to understand that God's grace and our reflection come from the same source. And that's God. Look at what it says in verse 16, and I'm almost through. For from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. In our text here, John introduces the genius of God's amazing grace, which is housed in its method of dispensation, church. John lets us know two undeniable truths that are key to our receiving all that God has for us in this one short verse. Number one, that God's grace is perpetual. And number two, that it flows from a source that is ever full. A source that is ever full. A source that will never run out. We don't ever have to run or worry about God coming up short with grace because His grace is an eternal source for us. Now, does that mean that His grace eternally is running and perpetually running for us if we're not trying to change? No, absolutely not. Very much the opposite. Grace does not give us license to sin and fall short. Grace is there to continue to allow us to work. Grace is the ongoing safety that underneath the work that we're aspiring to do. Grace does not mean that we sit on our laurels and not try, which is why it's amazing. Grace is giving us the unction to try even more, to, to, to stretch our faith even more, to try even harder for God, to pray even longer for God, to preach even more fervent, for God, to witness even more regularly for God, to do those things that are outside of our comfort zone for God so that he might be glorified, not us. Everything the world saw of Jesus was a product of the grace that he was created by. And this same grace is Christ's essence that flows in and through us as it continues to bless, comfort, and keep us. As we display it in our living with the intent of drawing men unto Christ. See, the one thing I love about God, God is like a master chef. Once a master chef develops a recipe of something that becomes timeless, people can try to tweak it all they want. But there's never anything as good as the original. And if you want to get a glimpse of just how consistent God is, and if you want to get an understanding of just how uniform God is, he understood and knew the formula because God knows everything before Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. If you look in Genesis, it gives the formula in short form. You'll bruise his heel, serpent, which was Satan but his heel and he will ultimately crush your head, meaning victory is imminent. In order for a heel to do a crushing, that means that there had to be something given that allowed that Thing that was found in a sinful state that allowed that thing that had been rendered useless based on its position in an act to not even be worthy of God using it. That thing was called grace. It was grace that gave that heal the opportunity to be raised even in the midst of sin to crush the head of that serpent. And that was the timeless recipe for what we know today as salvation. Look at what it says in John 3. Verses 14 and 15, it says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, pause, look in the Old Testament. Moses was dealing with the people and, and, and they were sick. There was a plague on, 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 on the people and, and he was told by God, if you take a serpent and put the serpent on the pole, if you raise that pole up, the serpent represents Death that represents everything evil and ill. It it, it would be foolish to do something like that. But God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. In that instant, he took that thing that represented death and he took that piece of wood that, that represented redemption. And he said, put that snake on the piece of wood and raise it up. And everybody that's sick. They lay their eyes on that serpent that had been raised up by the wormwood. May be healed. So look at what it says in John. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Old Testament. Formula of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Look at what it says. So the son of man be lifted up. That same grace. That whosoever believes in him. Shall have. Eternal life. The grace that God. Allowed for the heel to be raised to crush the serpent's head is the same grace that God allowed Moses to raise up the serpent on the pole is the same grace that allowed the serpents that sought to kill Jesus to be raised up on the wood that would be a self-fulfilling prophecy because he said in John 1 that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The driving force that gives us the capacity to exercise the act of love that is lifting up Jesus, is grace. The grace for us to say, you know what? That was me one time. You're not in this alone, brother. That was me one time. You can get up and dust yourself off, sister. That was me one time. The grace that allows us to understand that even though we've fallen and messed up, God still forgives us and gives us another opportunity to be even better than we were before. This is the genius in grace. This is the genius in his dispensation. It's perpetual. We can come back and get cleansed. We can come back and get a refill. We can come back and get a renewal. We can come back and get revived. We can come back and get redeemed. We can come back and get everything that we need because the storehouse is perpetually and eternally full. As long as we're making an earnest effort to be who God has called us to be. Some, however, have allowed themselves to refuse God's grace in presentation like the first time that we talked about it. And reject his grace by the offering like the second time we talked about it. But one thing I've learned about God is that three is the number of empowerment. And God gives us always at least three chances, if not more, but three chances to truly get a hold of this thing and be empowered by it. It's these individuals that he saved his greatest work of grace in our teaching today for. And that's to provide salvation to all who believe because his love is truly unconditional. God doesn't care what condition we're in. The songwriter that wrote the great hymn Amazing Grace was blind. Not only naturally blind, but spiritually blind. He had all but given up. And had laid himself down to die. But God met him and not only gave him his sight, but inspired him to write Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound which saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... I'm found, Twas blind, but now I see. God will take us and use us to create works that are timeless, the first of which is our lives. God desires our lives to be timeless works because time is the one commodity we can't get back. So every moment that we're used by him is a timeless moment an opportunity that can never be gotten back, an opportunity that can never be replayed in its original state. But it's an opportunity that we can look back upon as a triumph that we can draw strength from and understand that it was God's grace, God's grace and mercy that brought us through the challenges of that time and led us to that moment, that timeless moment was somebody's life was changed. This is why we must let go of our inhibitions, church, and let God truly have his way in our lives through his amazing grace. In times like these, we have to realize in this aside that the overarching theme is God's grace. The overarching, overarching motive in this journey from glory to glory is love. But the overarching theme from intention to execution to reward is grace. God's amazing grace is designed to continue to keep us in the game, to continue to keep us in our right standing, to continue to keep us just as God created us to be so that we can function in the grand mosaic that is God's church, that is God's body, to maximize our every opportunity To be that clear and accurate reflection of our father. That our father can be proud of. When we as dads see our our son do something that, 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 that they did really, really well. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are as a father. I still remember laughing about it on Tom and Jerry when I watched the cartoons. When I watched Spike and his son Tyke. And Tyke would do something. Spike would say the same thing I say when my sons do something wonderful. That's my boy. That's what God desires to say. That's my son. That's my daughter. Those are my children. They're doing in the midst of these unprecedented times in their world what I've created and called them to be. They're being those individuals with the ways and means the gifts and talents that that, that have men absolutely awestruck and have them sitting with their mouths agape wanting to see more. They're doing all that I've called them to do so that in the end all people can say is that's incredible what they're doing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, reason this fashion as I leave you today. Says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. One of God's greatest creations was you. Yes, you, that one that feels that they're unlovable. Yes, you, that one that feels that God has forgotten about them. Yes, you, that one who thinks that God can never use them. Salvation is a gift. God's grace is available. God's love is undeniable and his son is waiting with open arms for you my prayer is that you receive him as he waits to receive you amen I pray that you were blessed by today's word The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith, and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is witness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.